Welcome to the Old Chick Snow Shit Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I am really excited to share what I found to be an incredibly inspiring story, and I hope that you will too. Um, this is a story really of perseverance, belief, conquering fear. <laughs> I don't know, all of these things jumped out to me, and I feel like these are things that we all wrestle with, you know, as we're thinking about creating something new in our lives or, you know, moving from one place to another. There's all these fears that pop up, and I feel like um, the story that we're about to cover is just I don't know. I found it so inspiring on all of those friends. So I'm excited to welcome Lorraine Laddish. She is a multi-book author. I think you have 17 books now. Is that right? I think 18, but that's fine. That's <laughs> so many books she can't keep. She can't keep out. She is the founder and creator and CEO of an online magazine. I guess I call it called Viva 50, um, which is in both Spanish and English, and it's all about celebrating life over 50. And she has an incredible story of losing everything at the age of 45 and reinventing herself to become a successful author and really a social media influencer. So it's an amazing story. So welcome, Lorraine. I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit, just give us a little bit of history about you know, losing everything at age 45, like what happened, and then how did you navigate the path forward? Because I'm sure there are people who, whose worst fear in the world is to lose everything, especially in, towards you know, your later years in life. And how do you overcome that? So I just love to dig into your story and tell us a little bit about what that was like. Well, it was awful. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> like thinking back, sometimes I wonder how I got out of it. But uh, the short part of it is that I had moved from Spain. I'm half Spanish, half American, speak both languages, Spanish and English. Uh, I had moved to the States uh, at 41 or 40, yeah, 41. And I had two little kids. One of them was a baby. And that was already, you know, a big change for me because even though I am an American citizen and I've always been one, it wasn't the same to just move here and leave everything behind. I was already an author. I was a journalist. I was an interpreter of languages. And I left all that in Spain to come mm. here and start over with my now ex-husband. And I followed him because he had a change of jobs and was offered something here. So that was the reason for me moving countries. That's my first big change in midlife. That's a big, that's a big one. <laughs> it was big. But yeah. I managed to find a, a room for myself by reaching out to the Hispanic community and somehow, uh, even before social media, I got myself gigs. I've always worked for myself from a very young age. I don't like nine to five jobs. I mean, I don't like them. I don't like them so much that that has driven me to work for myself my whole life, which is pretty oh. cool when I think back. Right. So yeah, I've always been self-employed from the age of 18. So the point being that that, that was uh, an asset for me because I really, really enjoy this type of lifestyle. In fact, I'm working from home right now. But I did find myself again uh, 
ways to be a journalist, to be a writer, to, you know, do the same things I did in Spain, but do it in the States and pretty mm-hmm. fast. Now, when I am 44, my marriage is already in shambles that already came uh, with us from Spain, but I tried absolutely everything to make it work. Uh, one thing I recommend to women who are toying with the idea of divorce, especially when you have children, is to try absolutely everything because that way you have zero regrets. And I yes. have zero regrets because yes. I did try it all. So by the time I am 45, the recession has happened or is in, in happening in the United States. And all the gigs that I had writing, interpreting uh, as a journalist disappear. So I don't have an income. Wow. My ex-husband lost his job and wasn't able to get another one. And we basically went through all our savings, our cre- my credit. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one day after a year of honestly not, not feeling like anything was going anywhere, I realized now I really have nothing to lose. We have absolutely nothing. The marriage isn't working. I have no money. I have no source of income. I have absolutely nothing. I cannot continue living like this. So I made the very tough decision to leave the marriage. But I left with nothing. I left with my kids. I left with my laptop, my clothes. And because this is important to the story, uh, also a box of jewelry of heirlooms that belonged to my Mm. family and had been handed down to me. And my family, most of my family is living in Spain and some of them in Pennsylvania here in the States. But basically, my family is all far away. And what I have from them is this jewelry box. But as a single mom of two little girls who were then four and seven, I needed income. So basically, having been self-employed my entire life, I was unemployable. I was unemployable. I tried. And trust me, I, I just said I hate nine to five jobs, but obviously as a mom, I needed a source of income. And I knocked on so many doors of all kinds of things from retail to being in a warehouse to cleaning to whatever. But I was older. And again, I didn't have any experience doing any of those right. things. So I was a hard hire. And of course, that was really tough. And how did I make a living then? Well, I somehow, because a friend of mine, when my kids started saying, you know, we don't have food in the fridge and they would go to neighbor's houses to eat and stuff like that. My friend said, well, why don't you get on food stamps? And I was like, oh, but those are for poor people. (laughs) And then I realized, wait a minute, I am poor. And that was tough to realize. I can imagine. Qualified for them. I'm a big advocate for food stamps and, um, you know, because they really did help me get back on my feet. But it was a tough realization. And I, it's interesting because I didn't even have money to pay for the internet. And I was using somebody else's Wi-Fi, some neighbor <laughs> to get online and figure out how to get those food stamps. I also had some help from my family in Spain. My grandmother, uh, who passed away last year, she would send me a little bit of her pension every month so I could feed the girls. And I did some direct selling, which I do not enjoy at all. I don't like selling, but I did it. And I wear a lot of silver jewelry because I still have it left from that time that I was doing that. So it was tough. It was tough. And uh, sometimes I didn't want to get out of bed. I, I just didn't know what I was going to do, quite honestly. And 
it all kind of came together when Facebook and social media were starting right. out. Right. And in the darkest of times, all my life, I have turned to physical activities to improve my mood. I struggled with depression and anxiety when I was younger than the 40s. And I did that again. I signed up to salsa classes. And I suppose that a lot of people could think that is very frivolous, especially if you're a single mom with no money. But that saved my life and my kids' lives. Right. In the sense that it kept me mentally and emotionally going. But it also put me in touch uh, at a time when I really had no way to meet other people with other people of different ages, different backgrounds. And one day, uh, one of my dance partners at uh, this studio said, I saw on Facebook that you're a writer and I need a writer. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. You know, but I'm an author, I'm a journalist. I'm having all these great ideas. I want to get back in the saddle. And he says, well, um, I need somebody to write about coupon discounts. And <laughs> I had no idea. And he was paying me, um, I think it was $12 a pop for a three or 400 uh, word blog. Now I had been blogging for the heck of it and to kind of release all that anxiety I had from not being successful mm -hmm. and on welfare. And the blog was called Success Diaries, which is still online, but I wrote it at the most unsuccessful time of my life. However, I had no idea about how really to do SEO, search engine optimization. Right. And the guy says, well, the first thing is that it has to be SEO friendly. And I was like, say what? <laughs> <laughs> Google. <laughs> no, I knew what that was. And of course, they would not go with my name on them. And I was like, the blogs, and I was fine. That's great. But the point is that I pumped out those blogs like, like my life depended on it because it did. And I told myself, I'm making a living writing again. It doesn't matter that it's not literature or anything. Right. But it's writing. And here we go. And shortly after, I realized that I didn't really have to switch careers. The only thing I had to do was take my writing and communication skills online. And that one thing was the beginning of my entire career online. Interesting. So it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, so from a mindset standpoint, even though you were in a very low place, you never really let your brain get there. Like you, you, or did you? I don't know. Like, well, I had my moments. I have to confess, yeah. and because I think that we all do, you know. Yeah, we're uh, human. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when my kids were with their dad, because they spent some days with him, and the reason I didn't leave really the United States or Florida was because my ex was here, and I did not want my kids to grow up without their dad being right. close. Because right. I grew up without my parents being close, and I didn't enjoy that. So on the days they were with their dad, I would sometimes crumble and spend a day or two in bed and reading and crying and writing in my diary. And that was it. By the time they came back, I was fine again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let it all and, out. Right. Yeah, and to this day, I don't shy away from unpleasant feelings because I believe that sometimes, and it's been my experience that if you just, you know, act like they're not there, they will come out in some other way. For sure. So by allowing myself to grieve deeply for that time in my life, I was able to be fine during other mm -hmm. moments. 
So that is so important because, yeah. you know, like we're all, you know, often afraid to admit it or to show it. And when you store that stuff inside, like it, like you said, it comes out some other way. And, you know, whether it's anger, disease, <laughs> addiction, whatever it might be, it's going to come out. So like the only way, what is it they say? The only way through it is through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I have to say is that I think something that saved me was a lack of a sense of shame. I somehow mm. didn't have that. And I remember like being at a supermarket and the cashier saying, do you want to uh, donate whatever money to the needy? And I showed him my food stamp card and I said, this year I'm the needy. And the guy was so embarrassed. And I was like, oh, please don't be. I'm so happy to have this. But the reason I did that is because again, being the time of the recession, I would see other people with their food stamp cards Mm. and they were embarrassed to show them. Or sometimes the cashier would be mean because you had one that's happened to me or they made a big deal that I was trying to pay with uh, that card. Right. It happened at a very high end supermarket. And I was like, well, why, you know, they, they did make a big deal out of it. And I thought I am not going to be shamed for this. And I hope nobody else is either. Good for you. That's never. No. Well, I saw people who were very ashamed and maybe lived like that all the time. And I thought they should not be made to feel Mm -hmm. that way. And if I have this privilege that I can do it without feeling less than, well, maybe them by seeing it. And, you know, I was telling the cashier, you know, not, not me and not this man down here, you know, who looked like he was on them all the time. You know, but that could be also a story. Yeah, because you never know somebody's story, right? Like, who are we to judge? <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So sorry, I had to interrupt you. Go, go, go on. So social media is blooming or starting to bloom, and you were yeah. jumping on the train. <laughs> so where did I you did. go next? I did. So what happened was that I continued going to local networking events, uh, looking the part, even though I didn't feel it. Uh, I did make a point of, you know, get out there and um, on the days I was feeling good and put some makeup on and put a suit on and, and act like you're, you know, okay. And so I met somebody who needed a person to write copy for websites. And again, it was not something that was like, well, my dream job, but I started making more money writing that copy than writing the coupon blog sites, etc. cetera. Mm. And through contacts I had had from writing at um, the Palm Beach Post, where I was a reporter for years, uh, freelance, I made a lot of contacts. And all these contacts that started connecting online because of Facebook and all this stuff that was just surfacing, I you know, they just saw me doing stuff and posting about it. And then somebody gave me a lead for a position as an editor of a now defunct site called about.com that belonged to the New York Times back then, and is now called something else. And I applied, it was an arduous one month application where you had to learn HTML. I mean, I'm sure it's not that way anymore, but I had to learn HTML and how to use a backend. I didn't even know what backend meant. And it's all it is. <laughs> right the back end of a website, but I did not know any of that. And I said to myself, you know, if I don't get picked or, you know, I don't get this gig, at least this will be a paid learning. Well, not unpaid, an unpaid (laughs) (laughs) learning experience, but I wouldn't have had to pay for it because it was just through, you know, learning because I had to. Well, I did get the gig. It was not a lot of money. It was like 700 bucks a month. But I cried because it was $700 a month that were for sure. 
and it was being the editor and it was about being a mom and being a Latina mom. And that was exactly what I was. And, you know, it, it was great. And from there, I started realizing, well, there are other uh, sites online. So I kept within my circle of, you know, sometimes it's good. Well, not sometimes. I think it's always good to reach out to your yeah. community, and your niche, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. In my case, it was um, Latino or Hispanic media. And so I did reach out. I did pitch uh, new digital uh, websites. And I started making, oh, goodness, a whole lot more money than I ever did writing offline. So eventually, I got called to be the editor of the women's section of a digital publication for Latinos in English. And it was funny because my husband and I, well, actually, I, okay, so I met somebody else. Oh, okay. So you got back together? Oh, my gosh. No, I met somebody else, which is a different story, but... So three years later, let's say um, I'm going to this interview and I'm thinking that maybe they want to hire me as a columnist, right? So that I'm like, oh, wow. So maybe, you know, they're going to offer me this column. We're already making our, you know, money calculation. I said, well, a thousand some a month, whatever. So I get there. Anyway, the point is they offered me the position of the editor and it was $4,500 a month. And for me, that was like, that wow. was a lot of money. So I got it. And anyway, and then I went on to be the editor-in-chief of a different magazine for more money. And when I turned 50, I realized I wanted to do my own thing again. And that's when I launched Viva50.com and I went full on with my, with my own small digital company. But I have to say that my blended family of five people, for the last five years, uh, we have mostly lived off of Viva50. Nice. Yeah. So, and that is a great feeling. So in a five-year time, in a five-year time horizon, you basically went from literally having nothing and not knowing how to feed your kids to, you know, well, full circle back to doing your own thing, but doing your own thing. Yeah. Like, well, that actually, the whole thing took, well, I guess to be where, I mean, everything happened 10 years ago. Oh, okay. So, but after a couple of years, I was making a full-time pretty good living already as an editor. And it was just, I think what helped me was that I've always worked for myself again. And I have this hustle mentality, which sometimes is criticized nowadays. But, but what I mean is that I see the opportunity, I go for it, and I don't stop. Yeah. I don't give up. I might have bad days. I might want to quit. Of course, I might cry. You know, I might have a right. bad week. But in the long run, I honestly don't quit. And I find new ways to get through things and stuff like that. So building my own thing started a little over five years ago. And I did tell my, again, I think we married that year, my now husband, I said, you know, this might take a year to maybe even start to get some kind of a profit. I was wrong. It took a couple of months. Wow. Okay. And that's that's but, unusual. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. But I have to say that I pulled out all the, the arsenal of knowledge that I had acquired managing big websites and I knew everything. I knew the SEO. I knew how to hire people. I knew how to manage end. content. I knew, yeah, I knew the back end, <laughs> the front end. And I knew how to manage a team. I knew how to create a publication calendar. I knew it all. And of course you never know it all because it's always changing. But what I mean is that I had the big picture and I put it all into, right. um, you know, implemented it immediately. The only thing is that I did think it was going to take longer, but I already had an online presence prior to this. So people had been, 
working with me and PRs knew me and at least in my circle. Um, again, I think it's very important to rely on that circle. Yeah. And we all have di- a different one. It could be uh, ethnic, it could be racial, it could be uh, gender, it could be, and as much as we might not want that, um, I feel that there's a greater sense of community than trying to be, oh, let me be this person that's uh, just one of a million others, yeah. or let me be, thrive in my community. I think that's so important because we, we kind of live in a culture where it's kind of like, you got to do it yourself. You know what I mean? Unless you do it yourself, like, you know, it's not worth anything and people struggle and fight on their own. When yeah. we're by nature, we are pack, pack animals. We need community. Like it's community that keeps us going. And I'm sure like when you were having your bad days, like when I had mine, like being able to reach out to people who were just like, even like, okay, today I'm quitting. And they're like, no, you're not. Get back up and away you go right? And the thing when I first heard your story was the, the person, the part about perseverance and just keep, like you said, finding a way, even when you have the bad days, okay, you cry and then you pick your stuff up and you go. Because for so many of us, we, we don't have that faith that we can keep going, right? And it could take a, it could take us down. And so how did, like, where, where did you develop that sense of perseverance? Like, how did you? I think I was born with it. I'm gonna, not going to lie. Um, I grew up uh, without a mother. Uh, she disappeared from my life at the age of five. I developed a very severe eating disorder that later on and have struggled with depression, mental illness, and anxiety, and uh, a lot of stuff from a very young age. Mm. A lot of people do. But somehow, I had this survival instinct in me, which in the diary, even, you know, my, my sister is a suicide survivor, meaning that she tried to And so, but she is the same way. I realized that there is something in us. I don't think it was taught. I think, I I mean, I I didn't really learn it. I did always have this feeling of there has to be something more. I have to get through. And Mm. um, that's from, again, I think when when people go through uh, adversity, even if it doesn't look like adversity to other people, but the fact that you have some kind of really big stumbling up block at a young age sometimes it either breaks you or it makes you just it feel like it. I am going to pull forward because I have to and sometimes it both breaks you and makes you pull forward do you know what I'm saying like I mean I, trust me I do. <laughs> yeah I mean I found myself in that same situation where I was like oh, I don't know no idea which direction like you know at the age of 50 and literally within the space of a year like got divorced lost my job had some health crises and my daughter went away to school so I you know and for the first time ever was living on my own like in my entire life I had never lived solo and there I was in my bed basically unable to get out of bed sobbing (laughs) going like but at the same time as down as I was I was like there has got to be something else this is not the end like this is not it and then finding out those those ways to kind of even if it's like some days it's like the tiniest step forward because it's all I can do right getting out of bed exactly (laughs) that was my point when writing success diaries is that sometimes the success is getting out of bed yes something as small as that yeah, redefining what success looks like. Yeah, and like you said, like even you know when you were talking about you know showing your your being proud and being grateful for your food stamp card, right? Like that, in that moment, that was success. You're buying food for your kids, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? It was like the day that we walked up the stairs 
to our little apartment with all that food, it felt like Christmas. And the girls remember that day and they were very young. And now they're, my eldest is 18, the other one's 15. They remember, they remember. Wow. And my eldest is out on her own now, so. What an important life lesson for them though too, right? Around appreciation. You know what's really interesting is that they remember that time uh, as a cool time. Of course, I don't, but they <laughs> were like, "Oh my god, it was so great when we were in the apartment." And I would, and the little one says, "And I used to eat peanut butter out of the jar." And I'm like, "I'd let you do that. That is terrible." <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, we didn't have a TV, and we watched the same video over and over." Like, <laughs> oh goodness! Well, you know, what? they think it was great. Props to you then if, if your kids have great memories of that time because, you know. They do. They do. And they the do. other thing that struck me when you were telling your story is not caving into shame because um, oh, that, again, that's crippling, right? Like that's really crippling. And tied to community, if you're not reaching out to community and you're sitting in your own little pit of shame, it's a horrific place to be. And we're so, again, we live in a culture where we're so concerned about what other people think, mm-hmm. how we're perceived, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, especially today, like with social media, right? We're looking at everybody's highlight reel. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's great. And it's not always great. Right, exactly. But not, not giving into that sense of shame and being grateful for, for every step along the way. Like you said, I was super thankful when I had $700. And then I was super, super thankful when I had $4,500, right? Like the gratitude. And I think I am a firm believer in how far gratitude can get you. Like it just brings oh, goodness. more into your it life. Does. But you know what also is that I've realized, and I think after a certain age, we all know this, like age, what life humbles you. Right? <laughs> and at 20, even though I had some difficulties or many difficulties, but I was still arrogant. At 56 in a couple of weeks, I am no longer that way. <laughs> so true. And not only that is that by allowing somebody else to help, and I know it works with me. If somebody says, hey, I need your help. Could you come and do this or that for me? And they give me some kind of direction. I will do it. And I feel great. 100%. So by not allowing somebody to help us, sometimes we're denying them that, uh, I was going to say mm. pleasure, that, that good feeling. And another thing is that sometimes I believe a lot of people think, well, people should know what's going on. No, people don't know. We're all busy. We're all trying to get ahead. And sometimes, you know, it, it happens. We forget. If a friend doesn't tell me something that happened to them, usually I feel like, wow, why didn't you tell me this? Yeah. I wish I could have helped, right? And then another thing is that we often believe that we're the, own, the only ones going yes. through some awful thing. Yes. And For example, when I started opening up about the fact that I have struggled with depression and anxiety most of my life, if not all of it, and it was also that I didn't want my children to grow up thinking that there was something wrong with me and that they would say, well, then maybe there's something wrong with me too, or grow up with that kind of preconceived idea. But the day that my daughter, and that was only a year ago, I think, or maybe a little longer, she saw on my running, I have a, a runner's ID of where it states the medication I take in case something happens to me. And I didn't take it off for dinner, I guess. And she was reading it and she's like, oh, wait, um, Lexapro and Clonopin. And, you know, these are things that come up in songs for young people. And she's like, she knew what it was. Oh, wow. And then my eldest looked at me and said, is this because of me? And I'm like, oh, God, <gasps> no. This is because... Oh. 
mommy has a chemical imbalance and I need to take this so that I can function like a normal person or, or function health, like a health, healthy person. And the moment that that was known by them, then I started talking a lot about it online because I feel there are so many people who are feel there's some kind of stigma, not only in having some kind of mental illness or mental condition, but the fact that they need to take medication. I was uh, made to believe by different people in my life when I was younger that taking medication was a crutch and that it was not okay, that it was a weakness. And it took me until I was 40 some to realize it wasn't a weakness. It was what, it was empowering and still Mm -hmm. is. And Mm -hmm. I practice every day and I work out and I meditate and I still take my medication and I might never stop taking it. But the point of, of sharing this is because other people have come up to me saying, thank you. I also deal with mental illness yes. and, and there's nothing bad about it. And you're not less than for trying to find your answers. If uh, I always think that, you know, if somebody, nobody could tell me you didn't try. Nobody right. could say to me, oh, and, and then another thing that I find pretty empowering as well is that by not trying to hide behind a facade of, oh, I'm perfect, I'm like this, like that, one becomes much more powerful because there's nobody that has, nobody has a secret about you mm-hmm. that they can and say, oh my God, and then you live in this fear of, oh, but if people really knew how I'm like, I don't have that fear. And that is freaking liberating. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? It's so true. I mean, I, I, in fact, I was just writing about this the other day. You look, we, as we go through life, we kind of put these masks on to be able to deal with, you know, like even starting from childhood, right? Like to be able to deal with whatever situation we find ourselves in, we kind of put on a mask and, you know, put on the brave face and go do the thing. And then you get to a point in your life. Uh, and for me, it was like the universe kicking me in the butt to say, oh, hey, mm-hmm. sister, this is no longer working. <laughs> so we're going to strip away all your masks. So I didn't voluntarily take them off. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but thank God it happened. But we get to a certain point in life where it takes so much of our own energy to pretend and to not be real that you mm-hmm. have nothing left, right? And so you have to kind of go through this process. And I hear so many women talking about this, going through this process of reconnecting with the person who is underneath all of these different masks that I put on over time and figuring out who I am. And, like, and then sharing that with people so that they too can feel comfortable to share their own their own stuff or their own light or whatever it is, right? I find it so fascinating that as women, as we are approaching our 50s and then this this process is happening where we're literally undoing all these things that we've done for up to this point in our lives and these amazing, powerful, strong, brilliant women are starting to shine. And I'm like, I, like I truly every day I look at it and I go, this is the hope. This is literally the hope for the world <laughs> moving forward as all these women start coming forward. Um, and like publications like yours, you know what I mean? That celebrate that and then help women celebrate themselves. Because again, we live in a culture that doesn't really celebrate 50 year old women, you know? <laughs> and, but there's also, it's, it's interesting. I find that between 50 and maybe 70, it's like an age of uh, limbo because at 50, you're still not considered old old but then after yeah. seven you can do anything and they're like oh my god look at the 70 year old woman but what happens in the middle yeah <laughs> i call them the lost years <laughs> yeah it's like it's like there's not a lot of 
I don't want to say interest because I think there is interest. It's just that it's it's not acknowledged by no. media, by brands, by you know. So but true. at the same time, I at least I strive for this is to empower not only women our age but younger women. Yes. Because younger women grow up fearing age. I was just I yes. just posted today on Instagram that I have a YouTube video about uh, fear of aging, and the women and men who leave me comments about how scared they are of aging are not in their 50s. They're in their 20s and mm-hmm. in their 30s. Yes. So those are the people that I feel need to hear that message that, hey, life is certainly 100%. not over at 40, 50, 60, et cetera. Well, I mean, we're the first generation of women to to really have kind of lived, you know, full-time careers as mothers and everything else. So we're like, we're blazing the path now to show because, I mean, our, our mothers and grandmothers like we are not the same people as our mothers and grandmothers. Like we are we're so different, right? And so we're kind of at the leading edge of blazing this path about what it means to be a woman in her 50s, right? So there's still this very outdated notion in society. It's like, you know, sitting on the front porch, rocking and waiting for the grandchildren to show up. I'm like, but oh, wait a minute, that is so not me or anybody I know my age, right? Like we're out there kicking ass and doing amazing things. Yeah. Um, but there's that societal notion of it. And, you know, the women of our generation, like we are literally blazing the trail to create a new definition of what being in your 50s and 60s means. I think so. so. And it's fun because, yes, my youngest, uh, we were watching some movie where there's this old guy and he's in a wheelchair and somebody's pushing him, whatever. And she's like, well, that will be you when I get married. She's like, actually, scratch that. You'll be cartwheeling down the aisle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I will be, well, I would hope so. So That is is what I think is more inspiring is, again, teaching young people. Yeah that they don't have to fear because sometimes I think that, you know, when you're young, of course, you never think you're going to be old. And then you get older and you realize, wow, I never thought I would be this age. And I, I never thought I would be this age and as functional and as, you know, yeah. full of life as I am now. Of course, then there's the other side where I have friends who are, first of all, dead because of disease or addiction. And then I have the other set of friends who are ill and some of them are younger than me. So I don't take health And I don't take fitness for granted. So that's also something that does happen. And it does, some days it does get sad. Like, oh my goodness, some so-and-so died and -and so-and-so and they were only in their 50s and this gets a little scary. But then I think, well, because of them, I have to continue doing what I can do. Well, I can't. Because you never know when something uh, could happen. So it's, I mean. My mother died of breast cancer three years older than I am now. And I mean, I wrote a blog about that a little while ago. And it's like, you know, when she was 53, she didn't know that, you know, she wasn't going to have 57 or 58. Right. So it's like, okay, you don't know. You honestly don't know what's in front of you. And you have to literally get up every day and find the joy, you know, live life to its fullest, you know, do the best you can do because you just don't know what's going to come next. And, you know, like we're not, nobody's guaranteed (laughs) anything. No, but you know, now that I'm, I have yoga friends uh, or yoga related friends, and some of them are way older than I am. I have women in their 70s. There's one particular one who is 82, Pauline Dimitri. She is a survivor of cancer several times. Um, Her had to have her stomach removed at some point. Then she had breast cancer. She lost her husband. A year and a half ago, she broke her femur. And we just went out to celebrate her birthday. And she looked like she was uh, 
at breakfast and Tiffany's. <laughs> oh, like that's so amazing. A million dollars. So these are the women I look at. Yeah. I don't look at the people who are, because we're all handed sometimes crappy cards. And she certainly was handed a few very, very crappy cards. And she could be at home, you know, crying herself to sleep, but she isn't. No. And she might have hard days, but she's out there and she's practicing yoga and she's meditating and she's going out to dinner with friends and traveling right now. She's somewhere else. And that's who I want to be. Despite yeah. oh, life yeah. challenges, because I know there will be more. I don't know which, and I hope they're not awful, but... <laughs> they're coming. You know. Yes, it's true. So what yeah. would you say um, to a woman who might be in her late 40s or early 50s and finds herself in a place where she's, for whatever reason, starting over in something? Like, what is your best piece of advice from your own experience that you would, that you would give to somebody? Don't give up. Don't give yeah. up on yourself, because if... The thing is, we, I think we also believe that society is discriminating, but sometimes we are discriminating. Yes. And we are the ones who um, don't believe in ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. But I, I just say, honestly, don't give up. And a little bit of an effort is always better than none at all. And mm-hmm. I think that sometimes we believe that we have to do this grandiose something or other, and it doesn't have to be grandiose. It has to be meaningful for yourself. Yes. Uh, But it is possible. I mean, women and men of all ages, we reinvent ourselves over and over and over. So why not do it one more time? Yeah. And I love what you just mentioned about belief, like and not believing in ourselves, because you can look out into the world and find confirmation of, (laughs) of whether of discrimination or not, or you can, you know, confirm what you believe about yourself one way or the other. You know, and so having that self-belief, which is, you know, it's, I don't want to underestimate for some people, that's a really difficult thing to get to, but it's, but it's, but, but yeah. at least there is something about trying. Yes. Sometimes they say that, you know, the only try is do or whatever, like do it, but trying matters a yeah. lot, you know, yeah. because in one of those tries you will, I mean, even in yoga, like I'm practicing handstands now because I have this goal by 60 of doing what's called floating handstands and holding myself right. up there. But I fall. I fall a lot. And I fall doing a lot of different things. But if I didn't allow myself to fall, I wouldn't master the pose. Yes. So you learn to fall and then you just keep on going. Yes. That's awesome advice. That's great advice <laughs> to end our conversation. We could keep talking, but <laughs> so where can people find you online? I know you're a social media influencer, so you're obviously online in a few places. Where can people, where's the best place for people to find out more about you? And what well, because I have, I am for better, or for worse, the only person called Lorraine Laddish. <laughs> they can Google me and they'll find me. Okay. <laughs> Right. And then your your online magazine is viva50.com. Is that right? Yes. Viva50 with uh, letters. Oh. Yes. With letters, not with numbers. Numbers. Okay. I had to think about that one. Viva50.com with letters. Yeah. Yeah. Great publication. I really enjoy the content. So everybody who's listening, I encourage you to to go check that out and uh, find some more Lorraine online. So Thank you. Thank you. Um, this was a really, really interesting story. And uh, I love your, your take and your perspective on, uh, on how you navigated. I love yours. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.